Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. everyone and welcome to The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Will Kelleher here and I've got a crack panel once again with Stephen Jones with me in the studio. Steve, how are you? Very good, thank you, Will. Thank you. And down the line in our Wiltshire studios is Stuart Barnes. Stuart, you were at King's Home on the weekend. How was all that? Yeah, great first half. A little bit uh, conservative in the second half, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a beautiful day. We've had three days of fog in Wiltshire. Went to Gloucestershire beautiful cold crisp day uh first half it was the the attacking rugby was of a very high standard neither Gloucester or Northampton had a clue how to stop it and it was spearheaded by the Argentine fly half who's Gloucester's wing or fullback Santiago Carreras he he took the game to the uh, Saints game line uh, with such variety, such pace, such intelligence. They didn't know what was going on. And it's going to be a, a big call for George Skivington when Hastings is around again, because Carreras had something that no other fly half in the Premiership does. And that's just the, the nerve and, and, and the commitment to attack him with ball in hand. I mean, he scored brilliant tries. He made brilliant tries. He had an astounding game. Yeah, he was sensational, wasn't he? And didn't play badly at Twickenham a few weeks ago as well. Steve, you had a weekend where you didn't go to a game, but what was keeping you busy and enthused in your sporting life over the weekend? Well, I was following the uh, the, the Eddie Jones uh, review panel and uh, everyone tells me, and from my own observations, that Eddie was toast and etc. and toast and marmalade and, and all that. But then... I saw the panel begin to emerge as I as I tweeted on a little known newspaper, the Mail on Sunday. That's M A I L, I think, not M A L E. And a, a little known uh, hack. Well, he revealed three of the panel, and the three that were revealed were very famous people, players, and coaches: Ian McGeechan, uh, Jonathan Webb, and Phil De Glanville. But also three of the nicest men you'd ever meet, and you just wonder. I hope that the other nine have got a bit of bite in them. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would have had Nick Kane and Stuart Barnes there for a start. just to, <laughs> Because what you don't want, surely, and they're meeting almost as we speak, what you don't want is some chummy old thing and at the end of which they think, oh, well, actually, this wasn't too bad after all. We better keep him. Yeah. yeah. And that, 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 that worries me because anyone who uh, wants to keep him really should go and have another, another look at the, uh, the last two games England have played or not played. Well, Stuart, yeah, you mentioned the fog over the West Country there, and I think there's a fair bit of fog around Twickenham and the RFU at the moment, um, and it might even be thickening because as we came into the studio, there's some big breaking news that came out from the WRU. They have re-signed Warren Gatland and dispensed with the services of Wayne Pivak. So does that complicate the England picture further? Possibly, depending on what they do with Eddie Jones. We're going to try and speak about a fair bit of rugby on this podcast because... 
appreciate that everyone listens to this at different times in the week and news will change because it's a swift moving picture at the moment but we will get Steve and Stuart's thoughts on the Eddie Jones and the Warren Gatlin situation at the end of this pod so stay tuned for that because that will be coming and worth listening to but on the podcast between those points we'll look back on the premiership this weekend Stuart as he mentioned was at King's home so we'll talk a bit about the situation in the league there and Stormers coach Jordan Dobson will join the show to look ahead to the European Cup although as we know now it's not really the European Cup because it's the South African teams joining and He's going up with his team to Claremont this weekend, one of the great rugby cathedrals. He's going to tell us about their trip and what they're going to be up to and the inclusion of the South African side for the first time in the Champions Cup. We also, as we've flagged, talk about the Eddie situation, the Warren Gatlin situation and the moving parts in the coaching game. And, of course, we'll end with the god or goddess of the week. But first, let's get into some premiership action. Right, so we did have a round of Premiership Rugby, which will now pause because it's time for the Champions Cup, but we'll cover that off first. Um, and we, Alfie, the producer, who everyone now knows, the famous Alfie, who uh, edits and produced this, is, gives us some lovely notes for this. And on it, in capitals this week, is Bristol are bottom in capitals. So, Stuart, Bristol are bottom. That's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, draw with Leicester, which... <laughs> All the chat, I suppose, around that was whether Steve Borthwick would say anything about the Eddie Jones situation in England, which, um, newsflash, shock, he didn't. <laughs> but that was a remarkable game, late kickoff. but Bristol being bottom of the league, that's kind of snuck up, hasn't it, a bit? I don't know if it has. They're one-dimensional in their game plan. When it works, they're very good, and they're at the top end of the table. When it doesn't work, they don't have that much of a clue, and, and that's what's happening, and I'm very concerned because it seems any clubs I play for are going right through the mill. <laughs> Two years, Bath were bottom or, or next to bottom, and, and now Bath have risen to one point off the bottom, and it's my other old club in England, Bristol, that have gone down. So I don't hold out much hope for Oxford in this year's varsity match either. <laughs> Fair play, um, Banzi. You wrecked Newport before you even left Wales, so um, all four well, all well, your it, clubs it, it have gone it, down the pan. It took Zebra, Steve, for me to, for, for Newport to get off the bottom as well. It, it, it's quite a concern. But going to Bristol, um, in the end, they, they did pretty well to come back from a 14-point deficit and get a draw. Um, but do you know what? The, 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 the biggest thing I, that I take out of this weekend, and it's linked to Bristol being bottom, and it's linked to Bath being one point off the bottom, and and London Irish beating Newcastle, is this horrible, dragging sense of disinterest without relegation. We should be talking about, blimey, Bristol are going to be too good, too much money to, to stay there. Bath are on the move. Is it just Irish or Newcastle? And to be honest, no one talks about it and no one cares. And if you're a coach, it's such a cop-out that you're not under any pressure whatsoever to achieve uh, the wins, to get you out, yourself out of trouble. And I think uh, the culture of this country in football, which is our driving sport, has been promotion and relegation. And then we get a few people say, ah, yeah, but in America, in American football and baseball, they don't have relegation. We've got a franchise system. It's a nonsense. The sooner we get back to relegation, the better, because I believe uh, it is doing stealthy damage uh, to the reputation of Premiership Rugby. 
I totally agree, Stuart. And uh, you, you, the, all the vintage premiership um, um, seasons have been where there's there's a big fight for the top four between, say, six clubs. Then there's a big fight for the top, uh, for the European qualification, be it the top seven or eight. But underneath that, there, there's this teeming, rampaging, panicking battle not to go down. And that has, has, has illuminated the season. And... We're already, you know, it, there are a certain number of teams who appear to be guaranteed in the top four anyway, and nothing else happening apart from that. I mean, I think I think Bristol will surge up the table. I think when Harry Randall comes back, I think he's the the man who who, who, who sets the pace for them almost literally. But I think they'll be fine. But on the other hand, the deadness of the post Christmas the lower division or the lower part of the division post Christmas, the deadness of it is looming and uh, it doesn't sound good. It feels like... There there has to be incentives in in sport that last over a a long period of months, uh, league league championships. You have the incentive... We don't have an automatic champion like football does. So you've got the incentive of making the top four to give you a chance. You've then got the incentive of, of getting into Europe. But there are usually two or three teams, and I know it's slightly changed because we're down to 11 at the moment, but philosophically, there's normally two or three teams that have the incentive of not finishing bottom and going down. We now have a situation where a couple of teams can detach themselves and they can be utterly disincentivized. And if that happens... That makes the standard of rugby, the adrenaline of rugby, it, it weakens it. It weakens crowds. You have a televised game on BT and there's a third of the place only with people in it and people watching it go, I don't know, is it? I don't know, is this premiership lark up to much? Uh, and all the good stuff at the top is it can be forgotten because it just looks at the bottom end like it's just... Chuck a couple of kids in who we don't know if they're any good or not. And, you know, if we lose, who cares? I I don't want to watch uh, promising kids play. I want to watch the first teams, the top selections every week. If If the promising kids happen to be in the best 15 that week, categorically in the best 15, in the coach's mind, fine. I also think there's another drawback, along with the lack of relegation, Stuart, and that is that the the, the international game is, is, is throwing a longer and longer and longer shadow. So not only do the players disappear two weeks before the international season, not only are they then missing for the whole international window, but actually when everyone comes back, it is unfair to stick them all back in immediately as they need a bit of a rest so even even now you or even this last weekend fans didn't know which of their superstars they would see i mean in, and and also um, when they come to uh, they'll still be i would think players missing for the U- european cup so it's the long the lack of relegation and the long, long shadow of the international season, which is way too long. A couple of notes on this, and readers will probably be au okay with this, but we've been sort of flitting between internationals and club stuff for a bit. But to be fair to Premiership Rugby, they have reorganised the fixture list after Christmas, or after New Year really, from I think round 14 onwards. So we'll actually have fewer overlaps now in the Six Nations between the tests and the club games. So Steve, to your point, I think there'll be more internationals available. I think there's now only one overlap rather than four, or two rather than four. Um, And also I think the whole restructure, which will have to come 
in 2024 onwards because of the Wasps and Worcester situation is going to lead to a shorter premiership probably 10 teams is the preference and I don't know whether there's a, a way that they can add in there some sort of playoff between whatever the second division becomes and the, the top division to to re- revamp that at the bottom so there's a way of getting that going but something I suppose from this season is, is that it's an odd one isn't it where as you've been saying that ninth, 10th and 11th all are 17 and 8th are on 18 points at the moment so there's a bit of a battle at the bottom for kind of nothing because no one's going down and then at the top of the table you've got a Saracen side who didn't even play this weekend and are 11 points clear at the top so is the interest really for another season only about sort of the third and fourth places I th- I think it is I think that's what that that, that that's what we we're, we're looking at and um it, at this time of uh, when when a lot of people think the the whole heartland or the whole bo- the bottom has fallen out of the premiership it needs significant uplift significant public relations at the moment you're just wondering because after one week i mean this is ridiculous after one week of premiership everyone readjusts now they're all disappearing to play heineken cup so it really is impossible and if you wanted to fix the season so that it demolished the premiership then that is exactly how it's fixed Mm. um i mean the, the the premiership is caught between the devil and the deep blue sea at the moment you understand why having 10 teams works better. It works better. People will say first and foremost for health and safety. They will then say it works better because you don't get the overlap with the international game. All of this is true. But if you've only got 10 teams, you're just going to be seeing the same sides playing the same sides over and over and over. And that's why relegation is vital to give fresh blood now and again. But having 10 teams really does not extend the quality or the excitement of the Premiership because, you know, for 25 years now, the the sport really has remained stuck in in fairly affluent, small-sized market towns, small cities like Gloucester, Northampton, Bath. and, And it's all wonderful if you're a traditional fan there, but... You know, I keep hearing about the game is going to be um, spread in and it's going to grow under professionalism, but it hasn't because we haven't made the shift. The top clubs look after themselves. They don't like relegation because it affects their bank balance. But without relegation and without a substantial number of changes in the premiership on a regular basis, it gets very stale. I don't know about you, Steve. Maybe, you know, you and I have been covering, playing this sport for so long maybe we're stale but it feels to me that it just doesn't have that oomph that that, that, that there has been for so long totally agree Stuart and um the the the, the 10 the, the figure of 10 is set in stone now they've been told that's what it is and for a start they used to say oh we want more than 10 games because 10 teams because we want to have an opportunity to make more money well I don't don't see why you going to 10 helps that Stuart just on the match you actually went to I mean the the results um, for the weekend Quinns beat Bath on Friday night and Gloucester won against Northampton which we were talking about that race for third and fourth um, was a fairly significant one I remember watching Gloucester before the internationals and thought they looked a team primed to make a challenge what do you make of them they've got their internationals back haven't they they've got on paper a seriously good squad and a a shed that's behind them They, they look primed for a challenge do you think or not quite there if they play as they did in the first half, they 
could beat someone like Saracens if Saracens have an off day. If they play like they did in the second half when they were just controlling the game to try and get a bonus point, um, then they're going to be fourth or fifth and they'll take a, a, bit, a bit of a tanking in the semi-final. So I was really pleased with what I saw for 40 minutes. And whilst I understood their game management, I just thought this is a style of rugby and a level of rugby that simply isn't good enough to beat Saracen. So I don't know, I, I, a Gloucester trying to put together a team to qualify for Europe or are they putting together a team to really think on their day they can bloody anyone's nose? Right, well, that's our premiership chat. I think we've significant chat on the premiership there which is good well uh, my bit was Steve's was excellent I thought <laughs> and as we as Steve kind of bemoaned there that the focus changed once again for us we're sort of flitting between lots of things here but up next we turn our attention to Europe and as we said at the top it's sort of Europe slash South Africa now isn't it so it returns this weekend with the inclusion of the South African sides and next on the podcast, we're going to hear from the Stormers coach, John Dobson, who's going to tell us all about their trip to Claremont and all sorts else. Right, so now on the ruck, we're joined, pleasure to be joined by John Dobson, the head coach of the Stormers, who are now one of the South African teams who've joined the Champions Cup. We can no longer call it the European Cup. It's the Champions Cup. And John Dobson, you've got a game in one of the great rugby cathedrals coming this weekend in Claremont. How excited are you to do that? We, it couldn't be better for us. You know, it's a sort of place, I suppose, if you're going to go on this European journey to go to Stadio Mar, I don't know, I'm not friendly myself, Michelin, to play our first game is probably very special. I know we're incredibly excited, a bit daunted, I must say. Uh, but, and it feels about, it might feel odd to you guys. And, you know, some of it's logical and some of it's illogical that we are even in the competition, but we are really, really, really excited. I think it's a great for us to go to a place like that, which we've we were looking at maps, you know, uh, Stuart Barnes is a Francophile, you know, all about it. You guys have all been there covering, I'm sure, all of you. We literally know nothing other than there's the hood of this yellow army and this amazing unbeaten run. Um, so we're just researching frantically, but super excited. Yeah, we were talking off air with Alfie, the producer, who's saying, of all the places you want to go for your first trip, I've actually never covered a game at the Marcel Michelin, but you have, Steve. I mean, it's but a hell of a location, when you isn't get, it? When you get there, John, you think, blimey, what was the crowd? You think, oh, it must have been about 40,000. But then you've, you hear afterwards, there's only 18,000 there. But it, the atmosphere and the, the local passion is absolutely stunning. It really is. I commentated there for 25 years um, with Sky. Uh, and commentary, you get caught in worlds of cliches. And one of the great cliches is, um, you know, how many times have you heard someone say, oh, the stand is literally rocking? And actually, <laughs> at Clermont, it literally, it truly did rock. Your feet would move. You, there'd, there'd be two inches between the, the, the concrete and your feet because 20,000 people were bouncing up and down. It, it's it's going to be for you, John. I, you know, I spent a lot of time in South Africa. I know the atmosphere there, but this is, I, I think it, it is the, the cathedral of French club rugby. You're not giving me much hope, but that's because they're, 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 <laughs> oh, they're not a very good team. <laughs> fantastic. We're looking at it as a great experience. We're really excited. Yeah. How are you going to work the logistics of the next two weeks, John? Because we were looking at the weather for a start, and I think on Saturday it's going to be minus two minimum <laughs> Celsius in Clermont. And then the following week, you're at home in Cape Town against London Irish, where it's pretty much summer, isn't it? It's going to be 25, yeah. 26. So can you talk no, us through how you're gonna, doing that? 
Yeah, look, we 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 travel out today. You did right. I think on Saturday, Clermont is one degree. Starts at a minus three and gets up to a balmy one or two. Um, and then, and I think this is one of the challenges, you guys, whether it's good or bad, that you're going to see over this competition over the next few weeks. So Leon are going to come out here and play at Loftus Firstfelt on, you know, and that's going to be th- they're going to be going from the same temperature to 30 degrees. And we saw the difference. I don't know how close you follow the URC last year. We played a whole lot of games in February and March after the Omicron thing. And now you just you take poor old Cardiff out of that and then onto into um, 30 degrees in Cape Town Stadium. Then the stadium's all hotter than outside just because of the concrete. You know, from our side, we're okay because we're coming home, but I do feel for London Irish. I mean, that's going to make it a slightly less equitable, you know, or the, from, our, from, our, from our side, training-wise, we just got some plans of when we train in the day and how little we're going to train over there. I think the challenge is harder, and Stuart, you know from your playing, that the harder is for the European teams coming into our heats rather than us going up there. John, John, I was wondering, it's... Uh... You guys are never, never um, will always be up for any sort of challenge in, in South African rugby. But when you sat down to plan and you and you realised you were in Europe, you realised that the URC is is joining you, so you're you've got to go to other countries as well. It must have been f- slightly forbidding as, as a prospect for you because you know it, you have to go a long way for every every away game. Yeah, and it's got the downside for you know whether you Munster fans or Cardiff fans, but it was it, this this one is very daunting because last year we had a really easy ride because Leinster came here, for example, and they sent a sort of larger academy team with with Leo Cullen, mm-hmm. and you know while we really were preparing, they sent an academy team there. They went to go, I think, we went to play Exeter or somebody really big in the European quarterfinal. And we had a week off before carrying on the URC. And he sort of gave us a chilling warning. Wait till you have to fight the war on two fronts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we go, we go in our case, two Heineken Cup, or that's what they're called now, Heineken Cup games. Then we go to the Bulls in Cape Town Stadium on 23 December, which would be a monstrous game. There's no love lost between anybody involved in the two camps. <laughs> and then we play on uh, New Year's Day. And then we go back up to Europe again. So, no, we, we were in for a hell of a ride. But that's why we worked so hard in this URC now to just building depth. But, you know, Heineken Cup's not a, not a depth competition. Great for us to build fringe players and maybe we get away with them in the odd URC home game. But, you know, to take a 19-year-old lock like we are this week to that play to Clermont, that's going to be it's going to be tough. I was going to say, John, I remember having a conversation with you about this in the summer, but your selection's going to have to adapt and style of play for these games. That The Northern Hemisphere ones, you might want to kick more or box kick more, but down in Cape Town, you're going to play your usual style of crazy running game and all that sort of stuff. How are you trying to manage that as well as everything else? Yeah, um, that was the plan. We, we wouldn't box kick very well on the weekend. We happen to think there's an opportunity, and I hope there are not too many of their followers against Clermont moving them around. So that's just that just suits to be the opposition. It may not be the the, the the plan for London Irish. We'll definitely have to have a different game at Brentford in in January. I think you know in Clermont we see we can be hopefully be a bit similar on the heat of grass, but. Uh, we are all South African teams, and it happened when the Cheetahs and the and the Kings were in the in the whatever it was called the Pro, whatever it was. They you have a hard court and a, and a sort of clay court game, and we're developing that with some of our personnel, like you may just come off. You won't know called Steph Ungera Mike come in for Giant Kings when we want to do the box kicking stuff. We've also got a USP of how we play, and that could be a way to unlock teams. So that's going to be a bit of a balancing act for us. Yeah, absolutely. Just on a on a wider thing as well. Obviously, we're talking to you because the South Africans are joining, and this is the first week we're going to see it. What do you think it will do for South African rugby to have the the top sides in the Champions Cup? 
Yeah, we followed the, the Champions Cup got bigger and bigger in South Africa over the last few years. And, you know, it became, which was never the case, you know, Super Rugby as it atrophied and was missed, you know, stuffed up, if there's another way of putting it. And uh, the COVID mercifully brought a bullet to it. There was growing interest already, even though there's no talk of us being in Six Nations or the URC. And, you know, people would start saying, OK, we're going to watch um, Exeter Munster um, this weekend, you know. So there was growing interest. I, I think... It's gone a bit under the radar the last couple of weeks with all the rubbish. No, 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 that's not true. The autumn internationals and all the sort of fallout and what went on like that. It's been talked of here as the gap between URC and Test Rugby. Do you think that it, it points to this wider jigsaw piece? I know everyone uh, it looks at it and thinks, look, the end goal for South African rugby is to get into the Six Nations. Do you feel like that's part of it? And what, what would you say as someone who coaches in South Africa as, uh, to that idea? There seems to be almost an in it where there might be some logic missing. There seems to be an inevitability. And I, one of the reasons I'd say that is because of the Springboks. So now we got, for example, France Mohoba is now regarded as a national treasure after the game at um, Twickenham a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. He, um, he, he doesn't have a day a second off, you know, without us giving him chronic resting because, you know, the URC plays in Six Nations. Then it goes to playoffs of that, and God willing, we're in playoffs of URC and maybe even somewhere in Europe. Then he goes into a World Cup. Even if it wasn't a World Cup, it would be the, 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 what you call the summer tours, and then it would be the rugby champ. There's just no. So, from that point of view, that, that's one argument that we have to get more aligned. But what I'm, what I'm worried about is what this global season looked like because at the moment, you know, just the te- as you suggested at the start here, well, the, the change in temperature, it's just such a difference to performance. I promise you, Bulls Leon's res- game will look so different and the score will be so different at the two venues. And, um, but at the, at the moment, the URC is, is, is sort of scourged a little bit by do they have their internationals that weekend, you know, where it's a bit more aligned in the current season, you know, within Europe and England. So I think we, I think the only way around that is us going into that, into that competition or at very least the rugby championships moving into that window, which would be a struggle. Yeah. Cause at, at the moment, well, we were talking to Andre Pollard at the EPCR launch the other day and he was not been playing himself because he's injured, but he was making the point that South African Springbok players at, basically in a 12-month never-ending season at the moment where they go from a Southern Hemisphere test season to a Northern Hemisphere club season. So how are you trying to manage that yourself with your bot guys? Yeah, we try to... Look, it's not easy, but I'm trying to exceed by a week, whatever rest they get told. So like after the end of year two or one week, I'll try and give them two. It's tricky because, you know, we're going into this world of the Heineken Cup. There's no ways we can't be our strongest team. Well, I can tell you now, for example, on Clement, I'm, I'm going to leave France Mahuba at home uh, because just don't think we can put him onto an aeroplane via Istanbul this afternoon after what you know after what he's been through and and that's the pity because we have we need to be as strong as we can for these tournaments but we also know URC is our bread and butter to requalify for Europe so what they've sort of told us is um, you know have a go at, you know I suppose what put a line in the water for for Heineken Cup. If after two rounds you're blown away, then you step back from that, which is very sad because it's such a good competition. Or you keep fighting. You know, we got London Irish is probably at home next week. It's probably more important than this week in Clermont because it's a home game and that'll keep us alive. But the, the managing, you know, having your players available and knowing that you should rest them is a very tricky spot to be in. But I, I just got this theory that if I double their rest periods, they'll be hungrier and more keener to play well and play well for us than maybe press-ganging them straight into action. So that's why France is not coming. I mean, the rest are. Stephen Kutsoff, Damien Willem, so the rest are coming. Lots of our listeners, John, will be listening to this and going like, oh, I'm not so keen on the South African teams joining and yeah. think it devalues or changes the traditions of the European Cup and all that. What would you say to that from a, a South African perspective and what you think it'll bring you guys coming and joining? 
I, I look, I, the first thing I completely understand, you know, we watch, you know, I watched the Six Nations with a sense of mystique and sort of probably battled myself to get Italy in, you know, in my, in my, in my, in my mind, you know, and uh, so we love the tradition. The Six Nations to me is the best tournament to watch. So, and, I, and the same with the European Cup, it's almost becomes mythical. The things like where we going on Saturday or uh, Saracens, uh, Saracens Leinster game, but um I do think you're going to enjoy us. You're going to enjoy the style of rugby that uh, we play. It's different to the Springboks. The venues are greater. You know, if it gets, it comes right, you know, coming to Cape Town, if Munster come and play here, it could be a great occasion, a European thing, and probably add to the rugby firmament. But I can understand the upset. But um, I do think we're going to, it'll take us a year, and then I think we'll compete properly as we tend to. Yeah. Just on that note as well, you talk about the fans and all that. How are your ticket sales going for that Irish game? Do you feel like you're going to get a decent crowd for that? Are they animated about hosting an yeah, English that's team? The, that's been one of the disappointments of the of this season's URC uh, so far. You know, I think we played in Kakaberga, um, which is, used to be known as Port Elizabeth. That we got about fifteen thousand, this fourteen thousand, but there were some horrific crowds before and in other venues. Yeah, but the Heineken Cup, Cape Town during holiday season, and now we we expect a really a really a really good crowd. It's 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 by the time this gets to the sharp end, or we got a year in. You see, I think what people, we are so conditioned here to knowing brands. The Crusaders is a massive brand. Hurricanes, Waratahs, we know we had 25 years of that or whatever it was, or 22 years of that. You know, still in the URC, Ospreys, still not, you know, with respect, uh, uh, Dragons are not really known yet. And uh, London Irish may still be a small, not not a massive one here. But I promise you, if we get to a last 16 game and draw Saracens, I reckon you're looking at a pretty full Cape Town Stadium. So it might just take a few weeks, but we'll get there, I think. Yeah, okay. So what's the rest of your day and your week look like? You're off to the airport later, you're saying going via Istanbul, where are you flying into? How's it all working out? Oh, this is a really foreign stuff for us. Lucky we got Dion Ferri, that promising young Springbok flanker who made his <laughs> debut at 36. <laughs> got, uh, Dion Ferri played in Lyon for a long time, so we land in Lyon. Uh, we actually tried to base there, but we weren't allowed to. Uh, and then we go up to Clermont. We won't train Tuesday. We'll just do a high-speed session on Wednesday, take Thursday off. I think it's really, really, really important for these guys as we get used to this, actually then to get out and about. So I'll give them a bit of a talk tomorrow about the Michelin factory, the death of the guy drowned, the, what the, the, the team means to the town and all that sort of stuff. And try and get them out into a bar and a restaurant. I know that we should be very, very professional, but I think we have to take a bigger view. Let's again assimilate, understand Europe and enjoy a bit of touring. You know, I can't understand that England can play South African international and there can't be a beer between the two teams or function afterwards. You know, yeah. uh, So um, we, we're going to be really, really good tourists and try and enjoy the trip and try and burgle, burgle a point and then come back and go full noise for London Irish. No, and only give them mineral water. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was just going to say, I saw the uh, Harlequins guys who are flying to Durban to play the Sharks, having champagne in the first class lounge. So they're doing it right too. So. <laughs> it must be refreshing though. Like you, everyone goes through the rhythm, rhythms of a season, and it all comes a bit samey. But it's, it's a bit different, isn't it? And people, whether they like it or not, it's must be refreshing for coaches and teams to do something a bit different. Yeah, that's why I think this is so important. You know, we played. Literally, the first URC and COVID was a factor. Zebra came. I didn't speak to an Italian. I didn't see one. I didn't speak one. We're some of these opposition. I mean, I'm serious about the England-South Africa game. I spoke to our players. I said, did you speak to anybody afterwards? Was there a function? Did you have a beer? I mean, it's a big game. It's a big nothing. And I think, um, you know, part of our European adventure must be, you know, we'll host something here for these guys. Yeah, I think that's a really important part of, um, you know, I think it's, I just think it's, it's great for success and enjoyment and uh, that we encourage that as much as we, as much as we can. I think we, the more we can get back to touring, uh, the more rugby will become less same, same. So yeah, yeah. that's what we're going to try. 
Yeah, I think you're preaching to the choir here, and we'd love to do a ruck on tour. We always talk about rucks on tour, but one in Cape Town's probably top of the bucket list, isn't it? But, John, really best of luck for it, and it's going to be fascinating to see how you all go, and hopefully we can come and see you down by Table Mountain for a glass of pinotage or something like that fairly soon. Yeah, we'll be, we'll be allowed to. You won't have to pour it in your tea, your tea jug anymore. Would it be the last <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, right. comment. no comment. No comment. John, <laughs> all the best. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thanks very so much, John. All the very best, John. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I hope we add some value. Cheers, man. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Right, everyone, the tectonic plates are moving in the international game. And as we trailed at the top of the podcast, breaking news as we came into the studio this morning on a Monday that Warren Gatland has returned to the Wales job. Wayne Pivak is out. Gatland is back. Steve Phillips, the CEO at the WRU, said this appointment is no quick fix nor sticking plaster. It's part of our long-term planning from the game in Wales. Rubbish. So- Absolute rubbish. <laughs> So, for, on a, I know this is going to annoy some Wales fans, but just to put the context around this, Gatlin Wall could have been an option for England. Eddie Jones, this is us recording this on Monday, is going to enter his review with the panel, talk about that. This now changes the scene a bit, whether England were going to go for him or not. He is now unavailable. So, Stuart, I suppose, should we throw to you? What does this mean for everything? I mean, it's an amazing return for Gatland, having been out of the job in that 2019 World Cup. He comes back, Wales' most successful coach. It's going to change the scene remarkably, isn't it? It's a mess, really. But Pivak was picked to change the way Wales played a bit. Gatland had tremendous success in, in terms of trophies and win ratios. But there was always a sense that they wanted something a little bit more, which PVAC seemed to give the Scarlets. I feel sad that one of the reasons PVAC failed was, in the end, he wasn't true to himself. Now, what Wales will be now with with, with Warren back is is true to the, the Gatland philosophy. And I make no bones of saying I'm I'm quite glad he's not in the England mix because I think Gatland is a brilliant uh, organizer. He's hugely structured, but I want a coach that works with the framework as opposed to a a rigid game plan. And I think Wales have benefited from the rigidity of of a Gatland uh, game plan. Uh, But I think England have more depth. uh, They have more variety. And that's not what they need. It might be what Wales needs. And with the World Cup coming and the state Wales are in, then 
I'd probably think it, it's not just might, it is what Wales needs. The ghost of Georgia uh, is haunting uh, the, the principality, Steve, uh, and I think it makes eminent sense for Wales to, to recall Gatland. Steve, it's a fascinating line in the press release that they've put out that is they're making it clear that this is not just a sticking plaster appointment for the World Cup. They've said... Um, with the ability to go through the next World Cup cycle up to and including Australia 2027. And I suppose all the discussions with England were if he were to come in, it would be basically for a year to stick the plaster on. But how many plasters do you need in Welsh rugby at the moment? I mean, is is going back to Warren Gatland going to solve all these myriad issues that we've talked about so often on this podcast? Uh, it, it, it is interesting. I disagree almost ever, with everything Stuart said, frankly. I think Gatlin would have been a great coach for England because he would have brought in a proper coaching group. And I would have thought that Warren would be bitterly disappointed he can't get Sean Edwards, would almost certainly have been on the phone to Robin McBride and Rob Howley to put the, the squad back together. Um, I, I'm very... Uh, the person I'm most sad about is Wayne Pivak. I think he's very unlucky. It is not the same as Eddie, where Eddie has mucked up a really promising situation and betrayed a generation of players. It is the whole surroundings. They've said to Pivak, build this big wall without bricks and straw. The likes of Steve Phillips and all these uh, would-be gods of rugby in the, uh, in Cardiff uh, really should have carried the can and gone before Pivac. He should. St- I think he should still be there. I think he's an excellent coach. But uh, as I say, he was making bricks without straw. Gatland's Wayne Warren's appointment until Wales get themselves sorted, in which case Gatland will be absolutely fine. But he will be taking every shortcut available. And still, there's no agreement for professional rugby in Wales. Still, the games are, is, is, is shattered below the top level. Games being called off every week. So not even him is going to march in and win a Grand Slam as first up like he did last time. It's a remarkable thing, though, isn't it? I mean, Welsh rugby, he's, he said himself, I was in the room in, in the third, fourth place playoff in 2019 where... Warren Gatland, they lost that game to New Zealand and he said it would break my heart if Wales went back into the doldrums. And they look like they're in the doldrums and the first person they call when they're in the doldrums is Warren Gatland. Exactly. And it's, it's, he's, his classic skill with the Welsh national team in his first stint, I suppose we'll have to call it now, was making it almost like a club environment, wasn't it? And despite the results of the regions, which, was u- which were usually bad, he managed to create this brilliant atmosphere and he got the blokes in the team and they got him and that he kind of made this sort of one-for-all, all-for-one atmosphere. But uh, absolutely. doing that again with a different group of players, like how does he manage that and move on perhaps from the likes of Alan Wynn and Dan Bigger and all those guys in the next cycle? Does he just try and kind of patch together his old team with a couple of new guys in? It's, it's a remarkable No, thing, he, what he does is he'll, he'll assess everyone who's there and if they're still good enough, uh, that he'll pick them. If they're not, he won't. But, but, but you know, again, Warren's got a totally unfair reputation. Somebody once made up the, the expression Warren ball. It meant nothing... It, Wales played exactly the same as everybody else, 95%, and he was stuck with it. He's actually a good all-round coach. He'll sort the forwards out. He'll get the right kids in, not the wrong kids. Is the, but that's PVAC's pr- problem. But unless he can be omnipotent, and that is go in tomorrow and say, 
to the to the union. You must settle now with the clubs, and if he can, unless he can get like a Pied Piper, get the whole country back on side, then you know even he will struggle. What I do know is that it's never dull in rugby this season, isn't it? I mean, blimey, we've gone through clubs. No, it is dull. <laughs> rugby is dull, isn't it? Barnsley, I find rugby really dull. <laughs> It's not dull on the news front anyway. And all I was going to say to finish that bit off was that they can polish off Gatlin's gate again, which they signed up for him after the or around that 2019 season. So I don't know what quite happened to Gatlin's gate, but it's back. And Warren Gatlin is back with Wales. That's going to have a knock-on um, effect. Schenkin, sure. Schenkin, the Schenkin the goat has re- re-signed. Re-signed or but resigned? But it's a different Schenkin. There's been 21 Schenkins. Okay, and 22 maybe after the, for the yeah. 2027 cycle, right? So just just to cover off at the news as we know it, I know we won't go too deep into the Eddie Jones chat because it'll change quite a lot. But he, we're recording this on Monday. He's having a meeting with the RFU board today. Um, the the mood music is that he may well lose his job um, that decision will be ratified by the board on Tuesday if that indeed is the decision and then an announcement on Wednesday so depending on when you're listening to this you could have news that Eddie Jones is no longer the England head coach and then we will see what happens after that but as we said at the top of this little segment the tectonic plates are shifting it's never a dull moment and we're going to be covering it all the way till Christmas and beyond I'm sure all the way to the Six Nations Right, so now one of the big dominoes in the coaching landscape has fallen, guys. Just a thought from both of you quickly. What would you do next with England if you were in the RFU, if you were on the panel? Steve, should we start with you? What would be your, your next option? It's, it seems that Steve Borthwick may be favourite. I, I would love to think that Scott Robertson hasn't actually got a massive job at the moment. I wish, I'd hope they put in a big bung offer for him, even if he's not number one, because I would love to see him offsetting all the, char- the the downbeat character of Steve Borthwick, who's a great coach, but uh, and take off some of the pressure from Steve because when he's when he's in a media conference, he looks like he's being sh- just about to be shot by a load of armed snipers rather than just spoken to by the media. I'd have Steve Borthwick, and hopefully Scott Robertson would take a, a, a position as say coach and a director of rugby or something like that because I would love him to be involved and give England a bit of vision so you'd have both of them okay I'd so, have both of them so Stuart what do you reckon to that I think Steve Borthwick will do a, a very fine job over the years Steve's quite conservative there's not going to be a radical change and this is about radical change and where I totally agree with Steve is not just sort of uh, off the field in his press conferences, the way he thinks he needs somebody to galvanise him. Look at Leicester without George Ford. They're they're struggling. Borthwick without his game planner, or should we say framework maker, is, is, is looking just a little bit confusing. Right now, you just say, hang on a minute, Steve Borthwick, but Leicester have played nine. They've won four. They've lost four. What's different? Ford's gone and, and they look a different team. Games I'm, I'm not well. saying that mm. I'm not saying that in time he's not the man. I'm just saying they're actually question marks now. And I don't think Steve Borthwick has the his strengths, I don't think, uh are what you need uh with a World Cup around the corner. I think Steve Borthwick needs time to build, and then I think he'll do a good job, but I think he needs time and he doesn't have it. Very different situation, but a little parallel maybe with the Wayne Pivak thing we were talking about earlier where they sort of anoint a club coach a bit early 
and then they start having a bit of an average season. The one yes, after, <laughs> that's true. That's very true. And that's that's what happened, Scarlet, as says. It? That's what that, that indeed it was. And uh, they went they went by the last three games. Really, the, the results of the last three games. And Leicester is not very good. I mean, what would be bold and fresh would be for Robertson to get the, the job. But I don't think the RFU do bold and fresh things. Mm. All right. Well, we will try and keep you updated as much as we can across the Times, the Sunday Times and all sorts else. So please refresh and keep looking at your Twitter accounts and our app and everything else because there's going to be plenty of news this week. We're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on writing. We're going to keep on podding um, until we get a definitive verdict. And then perhaps around Christmas we'll have a mince pie and say that was a mad year 2022. Why don't we move on to God or Goddess of the Week? Let's end on a positive note. Shall we start with you Stuart? Have you got a candidate for your God or Goddess? Yeah I I think um, it's time to go to South America. I'm going to go Santiago Carreras. I've long thought Gloucester should play him fly half not in the back three. He was quite brilliant in, in that position. He can transform them he can transform any English attacking midfield. He'll do for me. Santiago is my God of the Week. Lovely. Nice choice. Steve? Can you have a footballer? Yeah, yeah. I was going to go outside of rugby, I think. Okay, well, I, I'm going outside of rugby to the, the great man who t- got off the mark yesterday and led the, the England boys to a glorious victory. And uh, prior to coming back home uh, to White Hart Lane, as it used to be called, and taking this to the title... Knocking off those Arsenal idiots. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Kane, I assume. Yes. Yes, right. Well, mine was going to be outside rugby, as I said, and I'm going to give a dual award for positivity in an England shirt to Jude Bellingham and Ben Stokes for their attitude, their way of playing the game. That We've been recording this podcast while England have just won their test match in Pakistan by 74 runs. And being prepared to lose in order to win is something the England rugby team are miles away from. And I think if there was a little bit of Ben Stokes and Jude Bellingham attacking, counter-attacking, going for the throat in the England rugby team, there'd be a far better side. So there we that, go. That's a very good one. And in stark contrast, I think, the two, the two other main international teams playing at the moment for England, it's stark contrast to what we've seen in the England rugby team. So... On the ruck, you've got cricket punditry, you've got football punditry, and you've not come for any of it, but you're getting it. So there you go. Right, so that has been a busy, packed ruck. Um, We're going to go straight into Champions Cup action, Challenge Cup action over the next couple of weeks. And then suddenly, before you know it, we're into Christmas and everything else and the new year. So keep, stay tuned, stay updated with us on the Times, the Sunday Times and the ruck. But for now, we thank to Stuart and we thank to Steve and we thank you for listening. All the best to you all. Goodbye. Goodbye.